Take your Bibles, please. Turn to the book of John, chapter 16. The Lord Jesus, when it was coming time for him to be crucified, he had been with his disciples for three years. Uh, He publicly came to his ministry when he was 30, and Jesus was put on the cross when he was 33. So for those three years, he was actively with them, telling them what they needed to know, exhorting them, explaining Um, just a straight shot to God, comforting them uh, when things would happen. But as the Lord knew that he was going to be subtracted from them, and he's going to be in heaven in the ministry he has there of intercession and preparing a place for you and I, that's what the Lord's doing now. Um, He said, I don't want to leave you behind without help. So in John chapter 16, let's look there if you please with me, please. John chapter 16, look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of the world is judged. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would take this passage of Scripture and many others that we look at and remind us that you have given us your spirit to walk with us all the days of our life. And I pray, Father, that we would learn to understand the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life and cooperate with it and surrender to it and become one with the Holy Spirit's direction. Father, may your spirit be in this auditorium today. May you help me as I preach that the Holy Spirit would empower me. Father, I pray that each one here would let the Holy Spirit take the word of God and apply it to their lives to the fullest extent that they might be changed into your image. Now, Father, you are invited here clearly to be the center of all that we do. In Jesus' precious name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, the Lord gave us the Holy Spirit then, and we're going to look at some of the ministries and how does the Holy Spirit work generally, just sort of a teaching message today. But one of the things that I see, there is something in America around the world called the charismatic movement where people over-accentuate and sort of worship the Holy Spirit over over anything else, and they seek an experience, which I believe is not a Bible experience. They speak speak in some sort of a heaven language called tongues, and uh, it's a misunderstanding of that truth in the Word of God. Tongues in the Scripture is a foreign language that that person does not know. It is not a heavenly dialogue with Holy Spirit words. It's speaking uh, words that you never studied. It'd be like me being given the gift of speaking Spanish. Boy, would I like that. I get up and go, and you go, amen, in Spanish, all right? And that would, but why would God choose maybe to give Pastor Butts the gift of tongues and that? So I could evangelize Spanish people. And that's why the gift of tongues was given. At the beginning, there were a group of people on the day of Pentecost that as they came, they needed to hear the gospel. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about seeking an experience. 
We're not talking about seeking to speak in a language that only me and God understands, or the spirit language. We're talking about a ministry that Jesus said that Holy Spirit comes to, to your life. In John chapter 8, look at verse, uh, chapter 16, I'm sorry, verse 8. We'll see his first part of his ministry. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness of judgment. Just basically what that means. The Holy Spirit's first job is to reprove and convict. The Holy Spirit comes to reprove of sin, righteousness, and God's judgment. The first thing he reproves or convicts me that I am a sinner. A person cannot get saved until they realize they're lost. Why would I ever embrace God or anything like that if I don't see my lostness? The Holy Spirit convicts a person that they need Jesus Christ. And this morning, that's the first work that God did in your life if you're a Christian. You're not saved. You're a sinner. If you keep going that way, you're going to die and go to hell. He convicts. He reproves. And it seems like every time you go around Christians, that's all they can talk about because that's the main ministry. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, and God wants you to be alive. He doesn't want you to be because of your sin and coming judgment to go to hell. He wants that sin dealt with. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, receive him as their Savior, they can have ever lasting life. We have someone at the back door, Bob. Okay. So I would just encourage you this morning. Has the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin? He said, every time I come to church, all they ever do is talk about my sin. That is not the preacher. That's the Holy Spirit knocking at the door of your heart. That's what it sounds like. You need God. You need his son. If you died right now without him, you're, you're in trouble. Your life is going to go to a judgment of hell. And that, that's what the Holy Spirit, and that's why when people come to church, it seems like that is over-exaggerated to them because that is the first work. He comes to reprove, and he comes to convict. You know, in that same manner, even after you're saved, can I tell you, the Holy Spirit still comes and convicts. Convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. There are two judgment seats, are there not? One is the judgment seat of the great white throne. Unsaved people come there, and without Christ and his righteousness, they are judged to go to hell. But as a Christian, I still have a judgment that I come to. That's called the judgment seat of Christ. This is not whether I'm going to heaven or not. This is for sin and good things in my life. And so God reminds you, he says, hey, you know what? You're saved. Your sins are under the blood, but you're living like a pig. Do you know better than that? You shouldn't be talking like that. You shouldn't be going places like that. You shouldn't be thinking that. You shouldn't be watching that. You shouldn't be wearing that. You shouldn't. You should be in church. He convicts and reproves. So the first work of the Holy Spirit, we could really deal with this. He convicts. And when you come to church and the Word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit will use the Word of God to convict your heart. And 
we said in my Sunday school class this morning, how can you tell the difference between a person that's being convicted and the preacher just getting in your head? You'll know. You won't be able to walk away from it. It seems like they can read your mail. I've actually had people over the years say to me, you know what, did my wife tell you all the things of my life before I walked in this auditorium? No, the Holy Spirit did. And that's just the way it seems. He convicts that strongly in your life. And so let me just say, even ask this morning, just ask very clearly, has God been convicting your life? And John chapter 3, we're going to verse 6, please. John chapter 3, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel, I say unto thee, ye must be born again. This is the second work of the Holy Spirit. He's convicted me that I need a Savior. Yes, I want Jesus Christ in my heart. The Holy Spirit at that point births you into the family of God. There's a big spiritual word. It's called regenerate. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But when I accepted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, through being born spiritually, makes me spiritually alive. I was dead. Now I'm alive unto God. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit's birthing ministry. And that's what it says there. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spiritual, is spirit. Can I ask you a question? Have you had a spiritual birth? The Bible says we've all got a, Bible, a, a, a physical birth. I was born on October 19th. Write that down in your notes somewhere. Okay. Okay. Every year. No, no, I'm just teasing. Okay. When's your birthday? Yeah, you got one. Similarly, I was born spiritually separated from God. They call it spiritually dead. I got convicted of my separation from God. The answer, the Holy Spirit focused for me was Jesus. I said, Jesus, come into my heart. The Holy Spirit at that point regenerates and births me into the family of God. It's a miracle. And this is a work of regeneration. Turn, if you will, to the book of Titus, chapter 3, please. Titus, chapter 3, we find another place. It says the same thing. First and Second Timothy, First and Second Timothy, Titus is the next, the next chapter there. Next book, I mean. I want you to see this isn't just pastor butts. I want you to see scripturally. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. What does that mean? We're not saved by all the good stuff we do. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. That's what happens the moment they get saved. The Holy Spirit washes me, renews me, regenerates me, births me into the family of God. And so it's a fair question for a person to ask another person, have you had a second birth? Except you be born again. Unless you've had that spiritual birth. Has the Holy Spirit worked in your heart? 
You say, well, how do I know? Did you take God at his promise? Yes. Did you say, Lord Jesus, I want you to come and be my savior. I turn from my efforts and I'm responding to you. That moment, that instantaneous moment, the Holy Spirit birthed you into the family of God. You didn't have to join the church. You didn't have to get baptized. You didn't have to do all the works of righteousness. It was the work of God in your heart. You say, how do I know if I was born again? Because now your spiritual eyes pop open. I've talked to so many people after they've accepted Christ. They've gone from knowing to believing. And then the Holy Spirit changed them inside. And they said, man, it's like the preacher all of a sudden got interested. Before that, I couldn't understand. The Holy Spirit made you alive unto spiritual things. And that's why unsaved people, when they come to church and they hear spiritual truths being taught, the Bible says the natural or unsaved, unconverted, unborn-again heart does not understand the things of the Spirit of God because their spiritual ears haven't been made alive yet. And so the second question, the second work of the Word of the Spirit, reprove, he regenerates or births you in the family of God. Turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here's the third work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6. 16, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells where? So when I got saved, who moved in? The Holy Spirit. There are those in the charismatic movement that say you need to seek the Holy Spirit after you're saved. That's not true. The moment you got saved, the Holy Spirit made you alive and then he moved, and he never leaves you alone. And that's why the Lord Jesus says, I send you a comforter. The Greek word for comforter is someone that walks alongside you for the rest of your life. You're never alone again. He's always there. Darkest hour, the happiest hour of your life, he's there. The Holy Spirit lives in your heart. And now that he's there in my heart, he's got some ministries we're looking to look at, but we've got to learn to respond because this is God, the third part of the Trinity, actually dwelling in me, and I need to learn to hear his voice. Let him talk to me. So he moves into my heart. There's other verses that we could talk about. And the Bible does say in Ephesians chapter 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is different than the day I got saved. When we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's letting the Holy Spirit have more of me. I've used this illustration for years. Picture a big hotel, 10 floors. And there's 100 rooms on each floor. So now we've got, what? Thousands of rooms. Say a thousand rooms. Put them all together, however that works. Okay. So I got all these rooms. Let that picture your life. When I get saved, the Holy Spirit moves into my hotel. Well, a lot of times, you know what people do? They let them move into a room or two. 
you know what, I don't want anybody to really know I'm a Christian yet. So, Lord, why don't you go up in the 10th floor and go down to the end of the hallway to get, like, room um, 1010. That's yours. Then you get convicted. You say, Lord, I want you to be filled. You say, oh, Lord, I'll, I'll, let you have, I'll let you have the whole top floor. Lord, so that's not filled. There's still nine rooms, nine floors. Okay, Lord, you can have room floor one, two, four. Wait a minute, what happened to three? Okay, five, six, seven, nine. What happened to eight? Let God have all the floors. Say, so, okay, God, you can have room, oh, one through a thousand. They're all yours, Lord, except for room 535. Is that person filled yet? No, they've still got a little part of their life. See, the idea is here, you give God access to every part of your life. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that illustration, often I'll go on, people say, oh, okay, I'll give God room 535. I know he's supposed to have it all, but I'll keep the closet. Oh, all right, Lord, you can get the closet, but I want to keep one shelf. Oh, Lord, you can have the shelf, but I want a shoebox. You see, this is the struggle that we have. It's not that we get more of the Holy Spirit. It's that we let him have full sway in our life. So when I get saved, the Holy Spirit dwells with me, and then I let him fill my life and use my life and direct my life in every area of my life. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, please. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 13. Ephesians 1.13, in whom, that's Jesus, ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. So when I got saved, I heard the word of truth, and I trusted the Lord, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, look at this next sentence, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Well, that's a lot of stuff. But here's the fourth thing the Holy Spirit does. He seals the contract between me and God that I'm saved. It says in verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance. The earnest payment is an, like a, a small down payment showing that the rest is going to take place. So when I got saved, God said one day, he's going to change his body, give me a brand new body. He's got a place in heaven. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to co-inherit with him. We all say amen, hallelujah, but it's not yet. So while I'm waiting for that redemption, that day when all that takes place and I, I'm dead or whatever, the rapture's taking place, I stand before God and it's the day of redemption. Until then, God says, I want to show you I'm not going to go back and change my mind. I'm going to seal your life by the gift of the Holy Spirit that moment. That's God moving in. And God then would have to deny his own self to go back on his promise. Do you understand what an earnest payment is? I think most of us have tried to buy a house or bought a house, and here's this house, it's a beautiful house. Boy, it's going to be $150,000, $200,000. Let's just make a nice house, $200,000 house. Boy, I like that house. Hey, I'm going to buy it. I'll, I'll take that house. The person says, how do I know you're sincere? Well, what do you want me to do? I want you to put 10% down. 
And if you don't, if you don't buy it, I get to keep it. It's called an earnest payment that you're for real. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not so sure. What if I don't get my finances? You make all the agreements, you get all set, and you put the earnest money down. And now if you try to back out, on, he takes it off the market, and you now have made a commitment. God has made a commitment that one day he's going to redeem us unto himself. And that happens when we stand before the judgment seat. And that's what we're waiting for. So the Holy Spirit has been given to me to seal me unto that day, and we are his own. We are God's possession. We're his child. And his Holy Spirit has sealed that unto himself. Look at chapter eight, Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. What's another ministry of the Holy Spirit? This one's an important, they're all important, but this is an important one for you and me to learn to appreciate. Romans 8, look at verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So what's the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit speaks quietly to our heart. You are God's child. Jesus will do what he said he could do. It witnesses and gives assurance to our heart. Let's back up one verse before verse 16. It's the song we sang. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. We've been adopted in the family of God. Whereby we cry, what's the word? Abba. Isn't that the song we sang? Abba, Father. And the Spirit then himself beareth witness with our spirit, you are the child of God. So what's that ministry? He gives us continually uh, assurance of salvation. I have counseled husbands and wives over the years that have had a few marital problems. And I remember reading uh, a, man, a story about a man that came in. I was reading this on, on counseling. His wife and husband, they're about ready to split up. Wife is just devastated. Her husband doesn't love her anymore. So he consents to go to counseling. They sit down and what's the problem? You go first. He doesn't love me. He hasn't told me for, we've been married for 35 years. He never didn't tell me he loves me. I don't, I don't think he loves me anymore. And the husband says, you know what? I told you the day I got married with you that I love you. Do I have to keep repeating myself? Of course you do. I read in another book way early on, the men, if you're wise, you will show your wife every day five times a day that you love her. It may be a sweet little note. It may be that you picked up your socks and underwear and put them away, like she's always telling you to do. You say, I love you, sweetheart. It may be you take her out to eat. Maybe you buy her flowers. Maybe you get chocolate. I don't know what you do. But every time that you turn and you do that action or you say with your lips, you say, you're my only, you're my sweetheart, what does that do for your marriage? It strengthens it. 
This is a ministry of the Holy Spirit in your heart. As you read the Word of God and as you go through your life, the Holy Spirit is there to remind you God loves you. God is not going to back away on His promises. He is your Abba Father, and He witnesses to your heart. He gives you an assurance that the world cannot understand. There's a peace in my heart that the world has never known. And that's not just because I'm saved. It's the Holy Spirit ministering in my heart. I don't know about you, but in the last three months, there have been a few times, not that I thought I lost my salvation, but I got a little discouraged. Could you raise your hand? Nobody, I'm the only person. Anybody else, anybody else get a little discouraged? You know what I did? I went and got my Bible. And I started to read. And you know what? The Holy Spirit just said, you know, God said this. And God's still his. And God's still on the throne. And God's still good. Get up off your, your bottom and get busy. That was an assurance. God's Spirit spoke. Man, that just like a lifeline. Amen? Are you out there? Okay. Okay. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. Abba, Father, your daddy loves you. He cares about you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He'll take care of you. That's his ministry. So we've seen five ministries so far of the Holy Spirit. He convicts me of my sin and He's, he gets saved, so I respond. When I respond, he regenerates me into the family of God. I'm born again. Then he moves into my life, and then number four, he seals me all the way up to the day that I get saved. He walks with me, and then he continually whispers in my ear, Jesus loves you, God loves you, you're the son of God. Don't forget I'm with you all the way. He gives assurance in your heart. Number six, turn to Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with affections and lusts thereof. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So what's, what's the Holy Spirit doing here? He's producing fruit and growth. Often we call, verse 22, could you just name to me, please, the evidences or the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. The Holy Spirit brings fruit into my life. It's growth. You're changing. You're not the same man or woman you were before you were born again. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's bringing that change in your life. There is fruit. And you know, the Bible says, by their fruit ye shall know them. One of two things is true if there's no fruit in a Christian's life. Either they're just not really doing what the Holy Spirit wants, so there's no they're not, you know, there's not going to be any fruit. Or they just never were saved. Both are possible. A barren or unfruitful Christian doesn't mean that they're not saved. But it could be. You say, I don't sense the Holy Spirit speaking in my heart, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all that. That hasn't happened to me. There's not been a... You might back up and see if you really understood what it meant to be saved. 
So I've got that settled. Jesus is the Son of God. He died for me. I received him as my Savior. I've turned from my sin to Jesus, and I ask him in my heart. Well, then you got it settled. Then what would be the next thing? Not letting the Holy Spirit work in your life. Yesterday, I'm working on trying to build up the roses and stuff. Pastor Stephen could tell you that's my passion to try to work on those roses. And so I went to the store yesterday, and I bought some more soil to mix in around the roots. And then I got some mulch to put on it. And then I got some stuff that will kill, kill the weeds around it so I don't have to weed it so much. Preen, there was a P-R-E-E-N. That will help to kill the weeds back. And it's sitting in the hallway out here. When you go out today, just look down the hallway, about 10, 15 bags. And Mario, if you get convicted, you can help me come and put them on, okay? Okay. Say, so, so why'd you bring that illustration? Well, those bags are no good until they're applied. You can have the Holy Spirit in your life, but unless you let the Holy Spirit work in your life, the fruit's not going to come. When I hope... When we get that, all that stuff put around those roses and whatever, it's just going to make them stronger and more fruitful. More flowers. More beautiful. Amen? I want to be a beautiful Christian, a fruitful Christian. And that happens when I learn to respond to the Holy Spirit. It's like he's working in my roots. He's feeding me. He's strengthening me. He's helping me know what God wants. And Jesus is the vine. The Holy Spirit's helped me tap into the vine. He is the vine. I am the branches. If you abide in him, you will bear fruit. This is what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life. He's producing that fruit. Look over in the book of John, chapter 16 again, please. John, chapter 16. This is where we started. In John chapter 16, we looked at verse 7, 8, 9, and 10, that when the Holy Spirit is come, he'll convict the world. But let's go a little further, please, in verse 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, is come, he will guide you into all truth. And he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. Notice three things the Holy Spirit does here. Number one, it says he will guide you into all truth. You know what the Holy Spirit's going to do to you? When you read the Bible, listen, this is so neat. When you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit's like a flashlight. Boing! That's what it means. And the preacher didn't even have to tell me. I could see that in my own life. Wow, that's a great promise. Look at the truth. And I can remember when I was a young Christian learning to let the Holy Spirit teach me from the Word of God, I would see something. It would seem so clear to me. And I'd say, oh, Miss, Miss Ward, Miss Ward, this is pretty. She goes, yeah, I know. They're not near as excited as I was because the Holy Spirit had made that truth so, so real. And it was for me. And it was, I could count on it. This is the Holy Spirit working in your life. He's guiding you into the truth of the eternal truth of the Word of God. And then it says, next of all, that he will not speak of himself, but he'll speak of Jesus. This is, a, this is an important thing for us to understand concerning the Holy Spirit. He does not go around 
telling us to magnify. Oh, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we worship you. He, that's not the way he directs. The Holy Spirit always points back to Jesus as our Savior. Be careful of ministries that emphasize the Holy Spirit more than they emphasize Jesus Christ. For where the Holy Spirit is, he'll guide you into truth, and he will not speak of himself, he will speak of Jesus. You're listening to a radio, and all they seem to be able to do is talk about the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, being filled with the Spirit. There's a misemphasis. Something isn't what the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is. It says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the one that's coming again. Now, there's a third thing the Holy Spirit does. So he gives me truth. He magnifies Jesus. And then it says he will show you things to come. And this is the Lord He's revealing God's will for your life. The Holy Spirit will show you where you should go. I've just, this past week, spent three days with our six seniors that graduated from our Christian Academy. We went on a late senior trip. It was fun. We went down to, to San Antonio, and we went to um, SeaWorld, rode the rides. I was surprised. I still could ride rides. Yeah, that was fun. We had a good time. I almost walked out of the park, you know, that type of thing. We went to the caverns. On, we went uh, spelunking is the right word for that. And, and we ate, and we did all kinds of fun things that were together. But having spent time with that group, one of the things that I was focused on, and I think they are too, you know what, you finished your high school, now what's the future? And one of the things that we all agreed, we need to let the Holy Spirit guide us. Do you know, isn't it interesting that everybody else always has a mind what you should do? That's important, wise advice from people that care about you. Mom, dad, pastor, youth pastor, teachers, they all try to give friends. But there's only one person that really matters when it comes to being guided in the future. And that's the one that knows the future. And that's the one that holds the future in his hands. And that's the Holy Spirit. And he will guide you concerning things to come. Listen, when God says do, we should do. We need to learn to be sensitive to him. There's many more things. Let me just list them out because we've already pretty much used up our time this morning. But he magnifies Christ. He, he produces growth. He brings us into all truth. There's another ministry in Romans 8. He assists me in prayer. The Bible says in Romans 8, verse 26, that when I don't know how to pray because I'm so frustrated with the details, that the Holy Spirit will help me to pray. Boy, I've claimed that verse in the last three months. Every time I've planned something, either the mayor or the governor or the, the county judge gets up and makes another decision. But you know what? My God knows all about it. Lord, what are we supposed to do with our church for the month of July? I don't know. You know, you need to learn to let the Holy Spirit pray in your anguish of your heart. Somebody close to you passes away. Have you had somebody die that you really, 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 really love? So how do I pray about all this? I don't know what to do. The Holy Spirit is there to guide your prayers. The last thing is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. The Holy Spirit empowers a Christian for service, particularly witnessing of the gospel. One of my favorite illustrations about being empowered. Let's just pretend for a moment that Mr. and Mrs. Feist, we're passing around a clipboard to clean the church. And they say, we'll clean the church. They sign their name up there for July, whatever it is. And they come down the church. They say, Pastor Butts, where's all the cleaning supplies? They say, well, down at the end, we have two closets. And they say, where's the vacuum cleaners? Well, next closet over, we've got three vacuum cleaners you can choose from. And so Brother Feist comes in here, and he's just vacuuming away. And in his zeal, he goes to the end of the cord and goes further. And unplugs from the wall. But Brother Feist, just so busy vacuuming, that he says, I don't have time to go back and get plugged in. So instead of going like that, he's got going, and just, he still runs over the whole carpet. And you walk in and say, did something, is something wrong here? He's, so I vacuumed it. This half is clean and that half isn't. What happened? One, he was plugged in, and one, he wasn't. Christians, we need to learn to let the Holy Spirit empower us. There's things that we should do that if we try to do them on our own strength, it won't, nothing will come from it. But when you do it in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that same thing is amazing what can happen. And Christians learning to walk in God's power is amazing. I could tell you things in my life that God has done that just amaze me. Let me tell you one story. Several, several years ago, when our church was really small, there was a Vietnamese family that my wife and I really cared about a lot. They were one of the first converts that we had in our storefront. I went out knocking on doors on a cold day. They started coming. They, they got saved. And they were in our church about five or six years. And one day, they came to church, and they said, Pastor Butt, they left the S off all the time. Pastor Butt, uh, we, we're going to move to Dallas. I said, no. Yeah, we, we move next week to Dallas. I said, oh, We'll help you try to find a church. Yeah, we'll find a church. So we stayed in contact with them for quite a while, but they didn't get in church. We didn't know what to do. I remember uh, my wife and I were really, we spent, like our children moved away. I mean, Lord, we don't know how to minister to them. And I can remember my wife and I, it seemed like everywhere we went, uh, remind us of the Vaux family. We just see the Vaux's. But they weren't, it was on our heart. And finally, the burden was so great. We said, Lord, we don't know what to do. How? Lord, show us and help us. And I can remember my wife and I laid down for a little nap on Sunday afternoon. That's the 11th commandment, by the way. Right? Take a nap on Sunday afternoon. On Sunday, okay. Anyhow. We're laying there, and we both said, boy, we're so convicted. Lord, we don't know what to do. We feel this burden. But, Lord, we don't know how to serve. How can we? And we went, laid our heads down, and the Lord as if he spoke to me out loud, said, write him a letter. I talked to my wife. I said, God has just shown me in my heart what we should do. We should write a letter and pray over it and send it. She said, well, I already sent him. No, no, you don't understand. Every week. 
So every Sunday afternoon for the next several years, my wife and I would write a note to the Vaux family. And you know what? They would come, and they would come to our summer camps and things, but they just, it was a miracle how God worked in life, put them in a church, and then one day God took the Vaux family and their boy went off to Bible college. He became the first Vietnamese to ever graduate from Bob Jones University. It was amazing. How, Lord, I don't know. How can I witness to Dan? How can I help Dan, Lord? And how can I help Han? And how, how can I help him? And how can I help Nina? Lord, help me. The Lord just empowered and did a work in my life to reach out and touch their lives. A few years ago, there was a death of somebody close to us. We went to Dallas. I up, called up the voters. I said, it's been a while since we got together. We ate lunch. And to hear what God did in all their lives, to every, they just witnessed one right after They're busy serving the Lord. He's a deacon. His father is, a, is the treasurer of the church. The mama's doing this. The married had three children. They're all busy for the Lord. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. It was not Richard Butts. I was frustrated. They're in Dallas, but I still want to minister to them. God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. You plug it in in your life. My daddy's not saved. My grandpa's not saved. Lord, at work things are so hard. And Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. This situation is in my family. There's this situation. I don't know how to deal with it. The Holy Spirit will empower you if you learn to walk in his power. He will help you to overcome. And Christians, if there's anything that I could give you right now as a pastor with all these things going on with COVID, God's Spirit is there to comfort you. It starts by being related related to God through salvation, where the Holy Spirit convicts and then births you and then moves in and he seals you and then he guides you and he teaches you and he empowers you and he shows you God's will. This is all the Holy Spirit. God has given him to us. And he wants to learn us to learn to be one with him. I'll close with this illustration. My my second sister is named Janet. She loved horses before she was ever born. I mean, she just loved horses. And my dad bought her a Palomino, and we named her Cleo. My sister would ride that horse everywhere. I mean, we lived way out in the country. She'd ride him bareback all around the block, every place, just grabbing hold. She didn't even have range, just, just grab hold of his mane, jump up and ride. And I can remember people, I can remember people saying, Watching Janet riding that horse was one of the most amazing things. That thing at a full run and gallop would be going down the road. And if I were going down the road, it'd be like that. But she was so one with that horse. They were just like they were married. I mean, they just lean this way, do this way, and they were just going together like that. There was no separation. They were so in tune with each other. And when I think of a Christian that's been saved, and learning to deal with the Holy Spirit, I don't want to bump along. I want to learn to walk in the power, the comfort, the strength, the assurance that the Holy Spirit, and this is exactly why the Holy Spirit has come. 
learn to understand this. Invite the Holy Spirit to speak to your life, to show you. And when he does, respond to your just a mirror of everything that he does in your life. Let him fill you. Let him comfort you. Let him guide you. Let him use you for service in ways you never dreamed possible. Most of all, if you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit would say to you, you need to get saved, you need Jesus as your Savior, learn that God loves you enough to knock on the door of your heart and convict you. For God does love you. Heavenly Father, I pray today that if there's anybody here that does not yet know Christ, that your Spirit would speak to his or her heart and that they would be drawn to you, Father, to receive you into their life. Father, I ask also this morning, there are Christians that maybe have been discouraged or uncomforted in some areas of their life, particularly with all this COVID and all the jobs and coming and going out of town. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would bring comfort to your people. Father, if there's somebody here that's struggling with letting you guide them and becoming one with your, with your presence and responding that way, may you teach them to relax and to surrender into your powerful leadership. For you know that the way we should go and you've been there before us. Help us to learn to do that. In Jesus' name.